Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Tara Rollins today. She's the executive director of the Utah Housing Coalition who advocates for increased access to decent affordable housing. And uh, I wrote a story this week, Tara, that um, kind of I've been following for a couple of years now. The increase of housing, mostly in the West and certainly here in Utah, but uh, it's, it's been increasing home ownership. Uh, the prices for homes have been increasing double digits. And along with that have been the increase, almost exactly the same, if not even more, in rental housing. Now, I know for the coalition, you follow a lot about both sides of that. And I want to get your impressions on what are you seeing now and, and what kind of uh, situation are we creating for ourselves? Well, the American dream is definitely not going to become a dream for all of us, um, unfortunately, especially, you know, the generations to come unless something happens. Um, right now, you know, if you want to purchase a home, you know, a starter home, it, there's no stock out there. So like no three bedroom, two bath houses or something like that. Correct. Or even a two, two bedroom, one bath home you know, some of the smaller bungalows that we may have. I mean, we just don't have those um, going on the market. You know, most of those have been sold, or if they do go on the market, they're being sold for more than the asking price, um, which is great for a homeowner who wants to sell, but for the one who's been, you know, who wants to purchase in that price range, it's, it's extremely hard for somebody to get into a starter home as we knew it. Um, you know, our parents and our grandparents, they bought a home and they lived in it for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we as consumers move. Um, and sometimes it's because of jobs or sometimes because, you know, our family's getting larger. Um, and it's extremely hard to do that now in terms of getting you know, moving up in home ownership, um, just because again, the stock isn't there. As, as soon as you move up to the next level, you know, that stock is still um, very expensive, ex very, very expensive and, and it's scarce. So what happens when things are scarce is going to be more expensive. Um, and so we really need to figure out a way to start building um, homes to the incomes that we have um, and that's just not what's happening housing is no longer a shelter or a home it's more of an investment you know we all want to you know get money back you know we want you know equity you know in our home um, yet 
it's very difficult for other people um, to get into that game as we, you know, have been, you know, we have the benefits. As of, we had started doing that years ago. So let me yeah. ask you, I know uh, when you mentioned investment, so generally speaking, people, when they first move in, you, you like you said, if you were uh, our parents' generation, uh, they would, may have been there for 20, 30, 40 years. Like you say, sometimes they just never moved. However, in today's society where people do move relatively frequently, if you, if you live in a house seven, eight years, that's kind of a lot. And, and if you stay in there any much longer than that, it's, 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 it's kind of an anomaly in that way. But what, if, if today, like for instance, in Salt Lake County, the median price for a home is uh, about $381,000. So that means half will cost more than that, half costs less. Well, that's still a pretty high number for someone to get what essentially is the average price house. And if you wanted to find something back in the $200,000 to $250,000 range, chances are it's going to be a condo or a townhouse. It's unlikely that you will find too many uh, freestanding individual homes for that particular price range. How, how is it that, uh, you know, looking, if you're a young person, do you even have an opportunity to, uh, to get into the housing market anymore? Well, I think the only way you're going to get in is if you receive an inheritance or you have been saving um, for a very long time to purchase a home. Um, it's 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 going to be impossible for many 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 families. Right now, we have you know people leaving college with huge debts, um, and that only you know bites into their budget and what they can afford to purchase a home. So we're going to have people that are coming out of college with you know master degrees that are not going to be able to get in um, the game. And most of these, we hear it all the time, that they're still living at home with mom and dad. Um, and so for me, I consider them homeless because they can't afford to live in our community. Um, when you say so, homeless, kind of explain that a little bit, would you? Well, if, if, if I am living at my parents' house because I can't live out in the community, that's the same as homeless. Well, but it's I mean, just, if, you, if you're living in somebody's house, though, I mean, at least you, you got a shelter. I mean, it's, it's not, I, the, you know, this you know what I'm is saying? True. Well, that is very true. But my point is that a lot of our homeless don't have a support system like a family. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just point that out. I mean, I, I heard it a lot on the Hill when, when we've testified, you know, we'll have legislators just say, hey, you know, my kids can't afford to live out in the community. They're living with me. Um, and so, you know, people are feeling it right. um, at home. And I'm sure parents love to have their kids living at home. I <laughs> but mean, do they really seriously, care? <laughs> my sister's crying because she has an empty nest. She would love for one of them to come home. <laughs> but, you know, also it's becoming a style of living. You know, years ago, you know, there used to be, you know, the grandmother mm -hmm. and, you know, parents and the children all living together. Multi-generational, um, absolutely. Yeah, multi-generational. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. And if it's, and so if that is what we need, then that's what we need to plan for and build to. Um, because right now people don't have, you know, the choice of living where they 
want to live because they're going where the inventory is and that is oftentimes how we get sprawl you know mm -hmm. um, so if we want our relatives and you know let's say our tribe you know the people that mm -hmm. are you know our besties mm -hmm. we want to be living close then we need to really um, be building to all income levels and how we do that I think we're moving forward I think there's a lot of conversation you know with the um, Utah Commission on Housing Affordability that's going on with you know, Wasatch Front Regional Council, League of City and Towns, and, you know, many more um, talking really how to put transportation and housing um, mm -hmm. and jobs and all of that together. And hopefully we'll get there. But as we are also have, you know, low inventory of housing, you know, for homeowners, we also have a serious housing program um, problem when it comes to rentals. When we come back, I want to talk about that specific problem, uh, the rental issue, because so many times, especially younger generations, they don't buy houses a lot of times, and they, they rent, and right now, they're being priced out of the market, too. When we come back, we'll discuss that. Right now, uh, we're just talking with Tara Rollins. She is the executive director of the Utah Housing Coalition. This is Voices of Reason. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson and today we're joined by Tara Rollins who is the Executive Director of the Utah Housing Coalition. They advocate for increased access to decent affordable housing, uh, particularly throughout uh, the Beehive State. And Tara, you mentioned uh, how in the, in the first segment we, we know that right now it's, it's difficult to ho uh, own a home, but it's exceedingly difficult, just as much almost, to, to rent a property these days. Uh, even though they're building, you know, more and more rental units, the prices for getting into those uh, leasable units is climbing day after day after day. How are we going to be able to sustain that in terms of affordability? Well, the state would, I mean, I think if we're going to sustain as well as maintain and increase, the state is going to have to invest more money in housing. I always bring up the fact that we make you know, the backbone of our um, economy is tourism, yet we don't have the foundation for our workers to be living in the communities that they're, you know, servicing our tour tourism. So when you look at places like Moab and Park City, even St. George, I mean, they're being squeezed out. Um, and some jobs are not being filled. Um, for example, um, bike mechanics in Moab, you know, so um, you can't rent out a bike unless you maintain it. And so, you know, there's some real hiccups when it comes to, you know, the jobs um, that support 
um, our tourism. So why aren't we investing in that foundation? We're, we're investing, you know, over $20 million to do marketing to bring people here, but yet we don't particularly care about the people who are here. I remember, um, I remember hearing the same uh, issue with Park City, you know, many years ago before you, you mentioned St. George. Park City's always been, it's a small community, but it's mm -hmm. generally speaking pretty high income and a lot of second homes, people with a lot of money. And then those who do move up that way oftentimes are, you know, high level professionals, executives, doctors, lawyers, that kind of thing. And so the people who work for them, who work in the service industries for the hotels, hospitality, uh, they oftentimes are not able to afford to live in Park City proper and they have to live in and around those areas and, and, and it's generally pretty rural. So it could be quite difficult for them to be able to, to uh, exist in that environment. I know Amy and I have done stories about these kinds of things over a long period of time and it seems as though we're, I don't know that we're helping them all that much. Correct. Um, one of the biggest issue is that um, income is just not keeping up with rental and as well as now it's going to be home ownership and so it's such a tough call because building is becoming more expensive, land is expensive, and and so it's very difficult for a, a for-profit or a non-profit to be able to build housing to a tourism job wage. So when you're talking about 30% of AMI, which is what it's some of the lowest income housing that you, you try to build. Oh, uh, AMI is, uh, what is it, average median area income? Median a income. Area median income, okay. Yep. Right. And so to build that, it's very expensive because they're not collecting as much as a market rate um, apartment. And so when you look at 30% of AMI, that's like $12, $13 an hour. So these people are working. Um, they just can't afford you know, their apartment. And so in, when I said that the state would have to, you know, invest more money in housing is that the developer really needs to have equity in the apartment so they um, building so they can pay, so they don't have so much debt to pay and on the mortgage. So if you only collect in $300 in rent, it's hard to pay a mortgage and everything else that goes along with it. So that's why it's so important to have the subsidy there. So I have a so question have for a you question. about the subsidy. Um, mm -hmm. Is that sort of the, I guess, maybe the most popular or the most obvious option? Um, what about having some of these companies in these tourist towns that mm -hmm. are benefiting from um, these workers who I, I think are making, I think the wages are as much an issue as the cost of housing, mm -hmm. because there's also the cost of food and transportation in these communities that's much higher than it is in, you know, like say right down here where I live in Taylorville. Um, so what other solutions are there? Because I just, I don't have a ton of faith that the government's going to step up. They'll step up some of the way. I don't know that they'll step up to what's needed. Well, I think there's some good news around that a little bit and that is at the last um, commission on housing affordability um, Senator Andrig you know spoke about collaborating with the governor's office of economic development and when we're looking at you know businesses to come to our community um, how can they be helpful in terms of 
housing and housing dollars and what are they going to be paying um, their employees. So that's huge step. But the, what you're indicating is um, why aren't the people that are making money in these tourist towns stepping up and helping? And part of the problem is I don't think we've asked. And I say that because I use the example of the bike mechanic down in Moab. Um, and we could say the same thing with ski tuning in Park City or, you know, chambermaids, anything. Follow the money. Is their bottom line going to be better if they help with housing? So absolutely. So Trek Cannondale bikes, let's say. Why aren't we asking them for, you know, something out of their foundation? Most of these companies have foundations and they're already given back to the community. Um, look at chambermaids like um, Holiday Inn, let's say. You know, they have a foundation. Walmart has a foundation. Why are we not trying to partner in that fashion? When you look at Park City, we have even higher end like Bogner. Um, you know, so many other brands that we just are not asking that question um, how they can be part of the community and housing. I know part of what they would probably say is that is that our job. I mean, is it their job, Tara? Well, I think I think it kind of goes back to even the, the question of whether or not government should be in housing. And so I think absolutely, if they want to be part of the community, then they need to be part of solutions. And if they're bringing a problem of low wage jobs to the community, and their gross is so much higher you know, they're making so much money on the back of Park City, then maybe, yeah. Why should Park City be, you know, flipping the bill for, you know, housing people? Well, basically, um, so, you're asking the government to subsidize these big companies, right? Exactly. But at the same time, why should government be in housing? Because they've kind of, they've kind of been part of the problem all along. You know, it started back, you know, with redlining and then, you know, and then the mortgage practices. And then, you know, now, you know, people say, well, we shouldn't be paying people's rent or helping people pay rent. Well, guess what? The HUD budget is so much smaller than the amount of money that we as homeowners are using in our mortgage interest deduction. And so who is receiving the biggest subsidy here? So, you know, it is so important to talk about the win-win when it comes to rental assistance. It's just not the person who's being stabilized in a home. It's also the landlord that's able to continue renting um, and not have, you know, unstable tenants, you know, throughout, you know, five-year yeah. period where I it's mean, costly. Or, or unstable workers, right? Like, so if your worker oh, has yeah. a place to live and they have some security, mm -hmm. like that's a better, you're going to probably get a better employee. Well, and you don't have to retrain and retrain and retrain and retrain. You're going to be able to obtain, you know, a worker who is going to blossom if it's the right atmosphere for them. When we come back, I want to continue this discussion because I think wages, to me, is the one thing that hasn't been increasing at the level that the, uh, the cost of living has been increasing. We'll continue our discussion with Tara Rollins, who's the exec executive director of the Utah Housing Coalition. Uh, this is Jason Lee and Amy Donaldson. You're listening to Voices of Reason.
are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, joined today by Tara Rollins, who is the Executive Director of the Utah Housing Coalition. And I, in our last segment, we, we were talking a, a bit about our wages, and I want to kind of get into that a little bit more, because it seems as though the prices of renting and the prices of home ownership are increasing, and in some cases, double digits per year, particularly out in the West where we live. And it's even higher if you go to the coasts, because on the East Coast, it is very expensive. You might find a little bit of leeway uh, in some of the Midwest and Rust Belt areas. But the thing that hasn't been keeping up with the, the cost of living, particularly the cost of housing, has been uh, wages. Wages, and, and this is not just at lower level jobs. This is including a lot of uh, higher end jobs that are regular, relatively professional jobs. And, and many professions uh, that have otherwise been pretty well paid but they haven't been going up at, at the rate that you see uh, what it costs to you know, try to get into a place that's decent and affordable. Uh, how do we begin to address that issue when you know, we can, we can kind of toggle with the uh, things to help you know, maybe uh, affordability in terms of you know, government uh, help, but in terms of, of getting companies to pay more, how do we do that? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, years ago, and I don't know the particular law in particular, but people couldn't gross a certain percentage um, higher. So you could only gross 10%. Um, and so, and then afterwards, you would have to put everything back into your business. And so, oh, oh let, right, because the, the executives couldn't make a hundred times more than the lowest paid employee. Right. Right. And which they can do now. Exactly. And that's, we, we need to go back and look at some of the things that worked um, like that. I think the bonuses that, you know, corporations are making are just disgusting, you know, on the backs of the lowest wage earners, you know. Um, and so I think we really need to look at that. I also think that you know, when you take out a small business loan, your practice should have a livable wage, that you're paying livable wages. You know, why are we, you know, I'm generalizing obviously, but why are we paying for, you know, somebody's second home in a boat, in a camper, you know, all that, while what's happening is their workers are struggling at the very bottom. They're, they're having to move their children from school to school, perhaps maybe even sleep on couches, you know. It's just, I don't know, it, it's just so unfair that, you know, there's so many books about, you know, getting rich off the poor, you know, and, and that's what's absolutely, I feel, happening. And there needs to be a real conservative effort into having that type of dialogue. But it's very sensitive because we have a lot of um, small businesses in our in our state. I mean, look what's happening with COVID. Um, you know, and also look at who are our essential workers. They're all our lower wage jobs. Our grocery stores, right. you know, our people at um, the hospitals, you know, the people that are cleaning. Um, Service these are jobs. The people, yes. Right, but these are the people we're really depending on, and yet they're not important enough to be paid a living wage. 
they're expected to go to work during this pandemic. Um, so do you also, see, is there political capital that they might have to change that right now? You know, I think, you know, t- now would be the time to be working with organizations, you know, anti-poverty, you know, organizations, you know, nationally around this particular issue, because, you know, with the fact that we have spent so much money on housing assistance, just in our state alone, um, it's so important um, to understand that people are not able to make it during a pandemic because they don't have savings, um, mm-hmm. um, etc. I mean, I think, you know, we where do you find savings to... if you're paying extra for uh, the, 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 the one bedroom studio or studio you're living in? I mean, you don't have any money, extra money. Well, in, one of the things that you know I would like to bring up too is that you know I brought it up with home ownership is that housing is no longer a shelter. You know when it comes to um, rental, it is a it's more of a portfolio, and a portfolio has to perform. And what I mean by that is that. We don't have mom and pops, a lot of them out there in our state um, that are bad landlords or have bad practices. Um, You know, our laws are written, you know, to them. But what's happening now is like, especially after the last recession is that we had a lot of corporations come in and purchase, you know, multifamily um, homes. And now, you know, they have so many doors in our state. And so what does the portfolio have to do? It needs to perform. And if you look at some of these corporations, their um, investors are from Asia. They're not from the United States. It says right on the number one investor. Um, and so how are they performing? So you have your rent. And so I can say, oh, I can afford this rent. You mm-hmm. know, let's say it's $1,000. Well, then when you go to sign your lease, there's all these fees that I have yes. to pay. And so now I'm paying you know, a portion of their property tax. I'm paying for my parking spot. I'm paying for um, a portion of their insurance. I'm paying for a portion of their- Garbage collection um, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, all of that. And so next year there's gonna be a new flavor that they're going to be able to add on to the lease so they can make more money for that portfolio. So it's, it's not just that they can't afford the rent, they can't afford all these extra fees. And so that's really, um, I would say, the biggest struggle is understanding what I'm going to pay for rent and whether or not I can afford it. Um, and I believe that is creating instability in our community. I I, have, I totally, I mean, your compre the comprehensiveness of this is, it's almost overwhelming when I think about it. So God bless you for the work you're doing. <laughs> because I, I do, I think it's critical because I, I, I think there are a lot of other costs and, and you know, I, I, I really think not paying people a living wage is kind of at the heart of the problem in a, num- in, in a number of ways. But I also wonder um, this idea of, you know, seizing this moment and saying we want people in housing right now more than ever um, and we're going to need this and, and framing it as part of an economic recovery um, 
you've been doing in this work, is that something you guys have already tried? Is that what you're doing now? I mean, what does like making this a financial, a financially appealing to people who want to make money? You know is what? The bottom line. Before I hear you, I, I'm going to have to ask you that. Uh, have Sorry. you asked that coming into the next segment? Because we, I want to keep us on time. When we come back, we'll go right to what uh, Amy's talking about and see if we can figure out a way to maybe entice uh, those who have the properties to, to make it easier for those they want to rent the properties or to own the properties uh, to be able to have access to, to do that. You're listening to Voices of Reason. back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're speaking with Tara Rollins, who is the Executive Director of the Utah Housing Coalition, who advocates for increased access to decent and affordable housing. And she has been uh, schooling us on some of the crazy issues that we have to deal with. And one of the last of which was talking about how, even for rental housing, and, and uh, certainly now with uh, home ownership, they are investments and parts of portfolios. So the, the owners are trying to figure out ways uh, more and more for the people who come to them to, you know, be housed in these units to uh, to pay more and more of their costs. And uh, Amy, you had a question with regard to how we can move forward with this. Yeah, I'm just wondering if, um, because you've been doing this work for so long, Tara, um, is there a way to make this financially enticing to the people who own the properties, but also the businesses who are trying to, you know, who don't want to pay people a living wage? Well. I think the time is now um, to bring all of these um, questions to a head. Um, like I said, we've been working on this these issues for a long time, and there's certain you know buzzwords that it's hard to bring up, like a living wage or increasing um, the minimum wage. Um, but I think in terms of the pandemic, I think people are seeing um, and re, you know reality check on 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 some of this. Um, but we also have you know businesses that all they want to do is make money. That's the bottom line. And so how do we mesh that? And how do we you know bring you know you know the government to really be the guardrails for this? Um, and I think it's just a, a very difficult conversation and we need to have more people um, that could make a difference vote, number one. Number two is, you know, go talk to their um, legislators, you know, their mayors, their um, commissioners, you know, in the state, as well as, you know, their city councils. I mean, they need to hear from them. Um, it's more powerful when it comes from somebody who is on the ground than it is um, for somebody like me. They see me come and they say, oh, I know what she's going to say. <laughs> well, and Tara, don't, don't, I mean, don't you think that these people are too busy trying to survive and to pay their bills and some of them have a couple of jobs because they are making low wages? I mean, I think that's part of the problem is it's, you know, accessing our political system or accessing our elected officials is not always the easiest um, thing. Well, I agree. And I, 
really think that um, one of the, you know, the National Low Income Housing Coalition has, you know, created an incredible, impactful group, um, and it's Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. And so we don't just have housing people talking about housing. We also have, like, Intermountain Healthcare talking about housing, University of Health talking about housing. Um, that is so important. We also have AARP talking about housing. I mean, a lot of the national organizations are meeting, you know, a monthly and coming up with housing policy together. And so, you know, it's an incredible, I, you know, go on their website. Um, and so we've been able to, as a coalition, um, you know, build relationships and, and we're, we are having different conversations and we have different partners supporting um, the need for housing. Look at, you know, CDC moratorium, you know, here they are in housing right now saying, you know, how you stay home, you know, housing is the most important thing for people right now because of this pandemic and their healthcare. I mean, those are huge. Um, so I think there is opportunity. Um, I also think there's opportunity to really illustrate the importance of this housing assistance that we have, you know, paid out in terms of the mom and pops that have been able to be, um, you know, be paid their rent. Um, so they can pay the mortgage, um, so they can pay the utilities. Um, we have, and so it's a win-win, not just the tenant, it's also a win for the landlord. And so um, I think once, um, and we've talked about it, you know, with several different legislators and they see it where they haven't seen it previously. Well, so you feel as though if that's, at least they're listening now so that they might be able to be an ally in this, uh, I don't know if it's a fight, but it's certainly in this struggle to, to create an environment for more affordability? Yes, I mean, I think um, that this has definitely given us an opportunity to showcase um, the importance of housing and keeping people housed. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to education, you know, housing was, you know, not only, you know, a roof over their head, it also became people's workspace, mm -hmm. the classroom. Um, and Certainly so, today. Yes. And so how do we um, continue um, to maintain people in their housing so they, you know, they can learn? Um, so. I'm hopeful. I mean, I think that legislators understand the, you know, they're starting to understand that um, importance. Um, and because last year they were saying, well, you know, housing assistance, oh, that's just, you know, housing, you know, Medicaid for housing type thing. And mm -hmm. so I think they're looking at it through a different lens now. And, you know, my hope is that you know, the apartment association will be able to, you know, I mean, stand up and really make a good case for how important it is um, to the landlords, not just the tenant. Right. Well, and I'm really hoping you can convince businesses that this is an investment. I mean, they all understand that, right? This is an investment in human, human beings, human capital. 
Um, and it, it can't, but, that can only benefit your company, right? I, I agree. And I think that if you talk to some people that even have, you know, some franchises here um, that have invested in their employees, it's unbelievable the people that they have, you know, empowered to move on to go to, you know, a trade school or a college um, and become an important person in the community, you know, um, and that's because they did pay higher wages and they were able to attract and maintain people living there opposed to a lower wage where they have to you know, the person leaves because they get a, you know, better opportunity. 50 cents, yeah, 50 yeah. cents more not, you know, to make, and then they have to retrain somebody. And, you know, everybody's happier, you know, when, <laughs> Would you, you make know, more money. Yeah, well, more money, but also when things are going well. Right. So, you know, when I walk into work and I can put, you know, I'm walking in with a smile, that makes, you know, all the difference. You know, if I'm, if, you know, I'm walking in and I'm feeling low. Um, it's it's not going to be a productive day, and so especially when you're talking about service industries. Absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, when you know, if I wish um, I had my notebook here because right now we have over our biggest companies. Okay, have a total. Um, this isn't the exact numbers, but almost 400,000 jobs that pay a wage that can't even afford a two bedroom apartment. Right. And so it, and so people say, oh, well, you know, that so there's two people, you know, living in the household working, you know, but yet we have a lot of single parents out there. With children, they got to uh, clothe and feed and house. Oh, let's not even bring up daycare. Right. Because that's, that's even crazier. Yeah. There's a lot to go. Listen, uh, I want to thank Tara Rollins for joining us today. She's the executive director of the Utah Housing Coalition, advocating for everybody who needs a decent, affordable place to live, and, and you're doing great work. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on every place where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of The Loudmouth Project. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.